Hello, and welcome to the ADHD Deep Dive, the show that's not about ADHD, but is filled with proof it exists. My name is David J. Mund, and I'll be your host this evening, or morning, or afternoon, or whenever you're watching it, uh, or listening. Today is... Uh, we're, we're, we're in early February. It's very cold. Um, I'm dealing with a bit of an annoying issue right now. looks like my apartment's heat, it's not out, but it keeps cutting in and out. So like I'll set the temperature to like 68 or something like that and it'll heat up to 62 and then it'll stop and then it'll drop down to like 55 and then it'll heat back up to 62. And even if I bump the heat up to like 80 or something, it only hits like 62, 63 ish and we'll go further than that. Um, I called a maintenance person out to the apartment the other day and they came to check out the heat because I'm not going to fuck with like the heating system. I don't want anything blowing up in my face. I know that like if you mess with a pilot light and there's been like gas pouring, it's a super dangerous thing to do. Um, so yeah, I wasn't going to fuck with that. So I call him out and the first thing he does when he gets here is of course my dogs start barking cause they don't know who this person is. Um, Gus is a much more friendly dog, social dog. They're both friendly, but Gus is a much more social dog. So he stops after a while. Judah keeps going, but Gus approaches the maintenance guy. And the first thing the guy does is start like kissing my dog on the mouth. And like, I, I don't know, that made me extremely uncomfortable. There was something about like, you can pet my dog. You can even do like mm, kissy faces or like, you know, Gus isn't much of a licker, but like, you could let him lick your cheek or something like that. But don't literally put your lips up against my dog's lips. That made me extremely uncomfortable. Um, and then I'm sitting on the couch and I'm holding Judah. And this guy comes up and is like going to pet Judah. And I was like, ah, I'd really rather that you didn't. Um, she's not very friendly. And he's like, she hasn't met me yet. It's like, yeah, 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 don't, don't. That's the point. Like, she's not really a big fan of men. She doesn't really, uh, other than me, she's like, uh, masculine energy is just, which maybe that's a tell that I have <laughs> a higher level of feminine energy than some men. Um, but uh, yeah, so he goes up to pet her and she's like growling and kind of like trying to like get back. And I told him, I was like, don't, please don't. She does not want to be pet by you. He was not taking the hint. So that really frustrated me. And then for the first like 20 minutes to a half hour that he was here, he was just like looking at the guitars that my roommate has and like asking him if he ever wants to like do a trade or something like that. And he like picks them up, starts playing them without getting any permission. He's got his wet boots that he's tracking through our freaking apartment. It was extremely obnoxious. And then I tell him, I'm like, hey man, like I'm kind of on a, like a time crunch here and like I'm kind of... I'm hovering over my dogs, making sure that, you know, nobody's freaking out or whatever. It's like, I'm in a bit of a time crunch. Could you like do the thing that we called you out for? And he looks at me and he's like, sorry. And then he fist bumps my foot. I'm like sitting on the couch and I have my foot up on the footstool and he just touches my foot. Uh, I don't know. It was, <laughs> it may be extremely uncomfortable. Anyways, he goes downstairs, looks at the heat unit like noodles with some stuff. And then it's basically like, I don't know what it is, but it seems to be working now. So the heat worked for like another day or two. And then now it's not working again. It's just doing that thing where it's heating up to 62 or 63 and then stopping. So I'm going to have to call a maintenance guy out again. And I really hope it's not the same maintenance guy because A, he didn't do anything. B, 
all of the other aforementioned stuff. <laughs> so that was obnoxious. Um, so if at any point you hear some soft humming or hooing or hawing, it's because I had to turn my little space heater on because, um, A, this is the room where all my plants are. If you're watching the video, you can see a few, but like um, they're kind of scattered around. And it, it gets pretty cold in here, and I don't want my plants to die. I've already got my, well, let me point here, my, my little Diefenbachia has gotten pretty cold. And it's starting to droop and crackle and get all dried and crispy. And it's just, I don't know, I don't want that shit. And it's winter in Michigan and it gets real cold. It's getting down to like the negatives or if anything, it's getting to like zero or one degree at night. Um, so when I woke up this morning, I looked at the thermostat and it's 55 in the house. And that's too cold. Um, so right after this podcast, I'm going to call the maintenance guy, call a maintenance person back out um, because that's unacceptable. But today, um, instead of talking about the cold, we're going to talk about how I am, in the eyes of some, I'm going to burn in hell. <laughs> uh, maybe that was an extreme segue, but uh, today we're going to talk about a boy, a tiny boy, little boy, baby boy, and that boy is me. Um, I'm going to talk a little bit about my journey through spirituality. Um, you know, it doesn't need to be too extreme of a conversation. I'll just kind of present some sort of timeline um, f through my... Um, my my pairings with certain religions, certain worldviews and spiritual compasses. I don't know. I'm trying to come up with too many words to just talk about my religious background um, and how I no longer identify as religious. And in particular, I don't uh, identify as a Christian anymore. Um, but this isn't really out of the blue. I think there's a couple of factors that go into this. One, I've always wanted to talk about this pretty openly. Um, and now that there is some sort of audience that is starting to piece together the stories of my life and gain a better understanding of who I am as a person or a creative, um, I think it's important. It's a, it's an, it's an extremely important part of that story. Um, but the other factors are, uh, if you listen to Ear Biscuits, which is the podcast um, by Rhett and Link from Good Mythical Morning, um, I actually knew them. I listened to them and followed them when they were evangelical youth leaders um, and have followed them on their journey through deconstruction, uh, religious deconstruction, and um, where they have gone from there. They recently just did a podcast kind of talking about like what life would be like if they still lived back home in North Carolina when they were evangelical pastors, um, evangelical missionaries. Um, and then uh, even more relevant to why I want to do this is last night I actually had a really, oh, bye bud. I had a really great day with my former youth pastor. Um, he is still a youth pastor. He is still a Christian. I'm going to put the mic back to Gus. He's getting a big old gulp of water. Oh, he's done. Okay. Um, 
but it was as positive of an interaction as it could have been. And I had some real anxiety going into it because as you'll see in the story, I, I, I was sort of a militant atheist for a while. I say militant in that, you know, once I detached from my religious identity, um, I just swung hard the other way and was very, I identified as an atheist for a little while. Um, we'll kind of catch ourselves up to how I identify now. I, I see myself as a spiritual person who believes that there is more to the world than we humans are capable of understanding. But I don't think that means in my eyes that God was a person or is a person or that Jesus was the son of God. Um, but I don't want to be too general. And I also want to make sure that I kind of, I do want to approach this delicately because I know that there is an avenue where I just shit all over religion. Because in my mind, there is a lot that organized religion has done that has made the world a worse place. But just like not all atheists are uh, absent of morals or um, can't be kind people, I, I just believe that some Christians or Hindus or Buddhists or Muslims or, uh, you know, there's plenty of other religions that I'm leaving out. I'm just saying that my belief is that most people are good people. The majority of people that does not mean that 99% of people are good people. Um, but a majority would be at least 51% of people in the world are just good people. Um, but in order to kind of provide context, uh, I have to step back and kind of examine my own view and how that has shifted and changed. I'm 28 years old and my religious journey started I believe the moment that I was born. Um, so we'll throw it way back to June of 1994 when the prophecy came true and I was born. That's right. It was written in the stars that one day a ginger would be born onto this earth and change the world for the better. And I was that boy. Um, I was baptized Catholic shortly after I was born. I was given, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not super familiar with how Catholics do this whole thing. I, I know that there's, I know that Catholicism and Christianity and Baptists and Evangelicals and Seventh-day Adventists, and they're all sort of offshoots of relatively the same religion. Um, I believe it all it all comes down to Jesus throughout those. I don't know. I'm not I'm no philosopher and I'm no religious teacher, so I'm probably going to get some of the uh you know, the biblical stories or or that stuff wrong along the way. But um my mom who is not a practicing Catholic, I I believe that she she might believe in God in the um, uh, the, what is the word, the Judeo-Christian sense. Um, 
but it, I, she was never a practicing Catholic. She went to mass and, um, you know, Christmas and Easter, all that stuff, uh, the big events at church, but we weren't really like dragged into it. My mom never really shoved religion down our throats as a kid. Um, and we'll get into, at a later point, I ended up going to church more with my dad when I visited him. Um, but for the most part growing up, yeah, my mom didn't take us to church didn't make us go to church. I think that there was, it wasn't like a, no, 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 this isn't for you. This is only for the adults. I think it had more to do with like, okay, kids, do you want to come with this? Do you not? Blah, blah, blah. And if we would rather just sit at home with my sister while she babysat us, I think that was what we did. And then my mom and my stepdad, like I said, would go to mass or whatever. Um, yeah, I was baptized as a Catholic, um, and thereby given godparents who were my aunt and uncle. Um, well, they, they then became my, see, this is again, I don't really know how it works, but they became my aunt and uncle. I called them aunt and uncle. Um, godparents, I think, I don't know if this is how they do it, but I think the intention was like, if my parents were to ever pass away, these people are supposed to be the spiritual leaders in my life. And I turned to them for guidance and wisdom as if they were my own parents. Um, but between then and then the ages of like, between birth and then the ages of like six or seven, I don't think I, we were brought to church or anything like that. But, um, at a certain point, um, my dad ended up, uh, dating who would then be my now ex stepmom. They've, they've since divorced. Um, but her family went to a Baptist church. Um, it was, uh, uh, downstate in Michigan near Lansing. It was, uh, the Grand Ledge Baptist church. And that was really my first glimpse of what you're supposed to do um, in church. So that was like every Sunday you go to church and then right after Sunday you go to your class, your Sunday school, so your youth group. Um, you know, there were my mom and stepdad lived up north and my dad and stepmom lived down south, so... Every other weekend, uh, we would meet at the Big Boy in Mount Pleasant. Uh, I don't know if Big Boy is global, but it was just a little sit-down diner type place. It was a chain. And their mascot was just a large boy in checkered overalls. Uh, and he just spun around holding a burger. And that was like every, whenever you'd come to a big boy, there'd be, yeah, that sign with, with the boy rotating with the burger in his hand. Um, but yeah, every other weekend, my mom would drive us there. My dad would, would drive there and they'd swap us. They'd do our little exchange. And then we'd spend the weekend at my dad's, come back and then spend, you know, we were going to school up north, so we couldn't spend like weekdays down south because... You can't have kids bouncing back and forth between schools all the time. And for whatever reason, that's just how a lot of custody arrangements work. Um, you know, it was uh, whatever, how the court mandates, that's how you're supposed to do it. Did it every other weekend. Uh, but yeah, so we started going to a Baptist church, which again, I'm not really familiar with 
how significantly different it is from a Christian Reformed church or um, the, the Jesus Christ Latter-day Saints and whatever those other multiple offshoots of Christianity are. But it was the first time I had really formed a relationship with any sort of pastor or youth leader or group where the main topic of conversation was Jesus Christ, God, the birth, death, resurrection, um, living in sin, uh, repentance, feeling guilted and shame for all you've not done, but because Jesus sacrificed himself for my sins, I am living in sin constantly and am impure. <laughs> it's very easy for me to get ranty and angry about this, but I'm going to really try to view this, um, just view this in a better light. Anyways, um, at a certain point um, throughout, you know, for whatever reason, because I was a child of divorce or because... Um, you know, school was hard and my emotions were running rampant. I was a very angry child. Um, always acted out in school. I remember in the the second grade specifically is where things really took a turn. And I started to get like violent in class. Um, you know, throwing things and breaking things and swearing and cussing and screaming and throwing tantrums and then being kicked out of class and then so I'm starting to develop these really um, unsettling emotional issues. And so I was then at a certain point, obviously my mom communicates this to my dad. So now when I go to church on the weekends, when I'm at my dad's house, I'm ending up getting lunch consistently with the youth leader there at the time, whose name was Pastor Brian. Um, and I remember Pastor Brian would take me to the steak and shake uh, around the corner from the church and just talk. I don't re really remember a whole lot of what we talked about, but it was kind of like he was doing some sort of detective work and, uh, you know, secret indoctrination along the way saying that, you know, again, I don't really remember specifics, but a lot of the conversations had to be had to be centered around like, you know, just ask God for forgiveness. And if you continue to accept Jesus into your heart and pray for forgiveness, then, you know, this stuff will go away and this isn't who you're always going to be. But to me now reflecting on it, I think only realizing that now, that immediately grants a sense of false security to a kid because it sort of makes it seem like, I mean, let's be real, a lot of uh, Christian theologies have a are have a belief in um, predestination. Um, to me, it's one of the great oxymorons of religion that we are granted free will, but also that predestination is part of God's plan. That God knows everyone and everything and what you'll do and sees you when you're sleeping and knows when you're awake, knows if you've been bad or good. So pray for forgiveness, for goodness sake. Um, but yeah, it sort of like allowed me to shift the blame 
so I think my first views of religion was like, oh, if I just say I'm sorry to the big guy upstairs, then I can get away with pretty much anything I want. Um, and even though I, you know, have my issues with religion now, I, I know, you know, that's just not, that's not how, it's not how that works. That's not how that was intended to work. I took the wrong message, even though I believe the message that was given to me was wrong. Reflecting on it now, that is not what he was trying to say. That is not what most of them are trying to say, but that's how I took it. It was just a way for me to shift blame away from myself and look outward and not reflect. But at the same time, I'm like seven, eight years old, you know? Um, but that was really, that was most of my interactions with religion for the next five or six years. Um, I was only ever going to church then. I, I still don't really remember, you know, if there were like funerals in my mom's family, we'd go to the the funeral and it was typically a Catholic funeral. So I was becoming familiar with how, how long and drawn out Catholic events are and can be, you know, the stand up, sit down, kneel, stand up, communion, sit down, kneel, fight, 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 rah, rah, rah. Uh, yeah. And it was that for until I became like 13 or so. Um, you know, my sister at the time was going to this, um, this thing back up North, actually, it was called gems, which this will, this will all tie in. It will become relevant to this future conversation, but it was this place. It was at the Lake city Christian reformed church. There was a thing called gems and a thing called cadets, which was essentially just like an after school program that kids could go to, to be around other kids, their age and be, um, um, productive. Uh, so I remember in, when I went to cadets at a certain point, I was like building a t little toy race car. And, um, I'm sure there was sub some subliminal messaging about hard works, um, and, uh, that type of thing, but it wasn't really, it wasn't overtly religious in my memory, but I started going to that because my sister was going to gems and it was right down the street from our house. But again, the only real like religious church going experience that I had up until this point was at my dad's Baptist church. Um, and then at a certain point at the same place that this gems and cadet stuff happened every Saturday, Saturday night, I think it was either Friday or Saturday night. It was on a weekend. Um, but it was this event called open door. And pretty much just like it sounds like, there was a youth building next to the church, and it was open door. It was an open door policy. Any kids between the age of, I want to say, 12 and 18 could go from the hours of like 6 to midnight. Um, there were adults there um, to kind of watch over everyone. It was, again, not an overtly religious thing, but it was next to the church. And I'm sure along the way there was some subtle indoctrination because that's how it's done. Um, but the main point, at least from an outsider's point of view was it's just a safe place for kids to go if their parents are at work or they just want to have, or the kids, you know, they just want to have some time without the kids or, 
you know, a place for the kids to just go and have fun. So there was video games. I remember that was where I got my first glimpse of Dance Dance Revolution and Guitar Hero. Uh, so this had to be like 2006, 2007. Excuse me. And um, at the time, uh, the youth leader there, his name was his his name is Nathan, um, but he went by Fig F I G, and as a spoiler to this conversation, um, I believe that Fig will soon be on this podcast. Um, like I said, he was my when I mentioned at the top, he was my former youth leader who I recently got back in touch with. Um, uh, so uh, that's that's kind of for the end of the conversation. But just for the sake of context here, yeah, Fig was the youth leader for um, the Christian Reformed Church. And he also hosted these events. And, you know, there's a bunch of other adults, a bunch of other people who were like there to take care of kids and make sure everyone was being safe. There were rules. Obviously, there was like that was my first glimpse of the, the term PDA um, because like there was no, you know, boys and girls couldn't sit next to each other and well, they could sit next to each other, but there was no like hand holding or kissing or anything like that. And there was like a few strike policies. So if you like continued to do this or break these rules, you would be sent home or whatever, or not allowed back. I think you might've been allowed back, but it was just very important to them that this was not a place where like prepubescent or early puberty kids are like exploring those things, right? So the intention was responsible adults making sure there's no hanky-panky, uh, but there's games and music and uh, 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 capture the flag. And it was, it, was, it was actually a really great, fun, safe time. But through this is where I then became um, a regular attendee of the Wednesday night youth group. Um, so I don't think I was going to church yet. I wasn't going on Sundays, but every Wednesday night, um, there was, yeah, youth groups. So I think it was just freshman through senior year. That's what this youth group was. And so I never ended up going to this until I was a freshman in high school. Um, but it was, it felt similar to Open Door because A, it was at the same building. Um, and B, it, the fur, the beginning and the end were very subtle. The middle is obviously where the lessons come in, but the beginning is like, everybody get here for the first hour. We're going to play some games. We're going to eat some food. We're going to talk and hang out. Then we've got our lesson plan. Then at the end, when, it, when we're done, everybody go to the gym and have a good time. And you know, when your parents come pick you up, that's when, when it's over. And then we'll either see you on Saturday at open door or we'll see you Sunday at church. So at this point, I'm starting to meet kids my age. Um, we're all starting, not all of us, I, you know, some of these kids were born and raised in the church, have been going to Sunday school since, you know, their first memories, um, their family is part of the church. Uh, but that that wasn't me. And there was, a, there was a, a, quite a few kids just like me who were just there to kind of feel it out. Um, you know, when I was a kid going to this Baptist church, it was like, whether I wanted to or not, I was going to this 
Sunday school, I was going to church. I was meeting with Pastor Brian at the Steak and Shake and talking about my problems and learning about Jesus and drawing pictures of that kind of stuff. But it wasn't like a choice I was making. At this point, it's a choice that I'm making. Um, like I said, it was right down the street from my house. Um, so I could just get home from school, come home, do a couple of things, and then go to youth group and just, you know, just walk. It was less than a mile. And yeah, my, my mom's not going to this church. My sister's not going to this church. My brother's not going to this church. Nobody that I am related to or in the same household as was going to this. So it felt on one hand like I like had a place to go to like meet friends and have fun and whatever and play games, but also like I got to get out of the house and it was a thing that I was choosing to do on my own. So it was like, you know, my mom can't tell me not to go to church, right? Like, um, you know, she could have, I'm sure she could have, uh, but you know, she wasn't, that's not just, she was not interested in telling me not to go because I'm sure she believed ultimately that this was probably the right path for me to be on. So it became a regular occurrence that I was going to this thing on Wednesdays. Um, Ooh, nice neck crack. Here we go. One more. Oh, yes. So good. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's now a conscious decision for me to start engaging in religion in a new way. Um, I don't think that I was taking any of these lessons home. I don't think that I was, um, you know, trying to evangelize my family or convert anyone or anything like that. To me, it was just, I get to make this decision to go to this place, to check out, be with like-minded kids my age, um, and maybe learn about big guy upstairs and sing some songs with everyone. It was just, it just felt like fun. Um, and I grew up in a small town, so there was a lot of kids from my school that I knew that were at this church, but there was also kids who went to um, uh, nearby schools because this was the biggest Christian Reformed church in the in the district, so a lot of kids from the surrounding area would be there. And um, it was just the first way for me to meet people outside of my bubble that I was making the decision to do. Um and then at a certain point, I want to say probably around my sophomore year is when I really start to develop a friendship and a relationship with this pastor. Um, you know, s s say what you will about the uh, ethical nature of it, but he ha sort of had like an inner circle of some of the kids who like he could tell was um, were, were starting to get it and like understand and want to engage. So of course, like when you're trying to convert kids or um, get them to believe or follow um, the ones that show interest you got to kind of you know stick with them but it was never like uh, a mandatory you've got to come and let's let's all pray together it was all subtle so through games or volunteer work I remember we would always go to this thing called the paper truck which was just this recycling center and a few of us um, would have a lock-in. If, if you're not familiar with the term lock-in, it was basically an overnighter at the church where we'd all play video games and have fun. And then in the morning, we would go do volunteer work at the recycle center and sort recycling. They'd have this big giant semi-truck. 
and there'd be like five or six of us packed into this little truck with a little space heater because it was usually during the winter that we did the recycling. Um, and then, yeah, we just all sit in there. We talk about church and we talk about God and what we learned. And um, But it was never, it, it never felt forced. It, it felt like it was just becoming a part of my dialogue and my personality. Um, and I was starting to understand some of the biblical passage, biblical teachings. Um, and now I'm becoming like genuinely interested in the concept of repentance and um, just Christianity as a whole. I had accepted Jesus Christ as my savior. Um, I was still a horrible kid. I was at terrible anger issues in high school. Um, and I was like, you know, you're supposed to, you know, I don't know. I don't think it's really important to talk about when I started having sex, but like I was being sexual at this time. I was not remaining abstinent. So like these were secrets I was keeping from the church and keeping from my pastor. Um, because you know, we all live in sin. Uh, but I was starting to feel shame for these, quote, sins for the first time, rather than it just being like, ah, whatever, I'll get forgiven. Now it was like, oh, I, I, I started to reflect on how bad it was that I was even doing this stuff. So I really start to lean into the religion a little bit more um, towards the tail end of the sophomore year. Um, but this now is like, we're going to youth retreats now. It's not just Wednesdays and Saturdays and Sundays. Now it's like there was a fall retreat and a winter retreat where like you'd have to get permissions signed and you'd be gone for like a week on this retreat, where the, which was exclusively about um, um, biblical studies. I mean, yes, of course there's games and fun and you have to connect and we're all like staying in cabins and getting to know each other, but like, you start to build this circle of religious accountability. Um, so I've got Bible study groups and small groups where we all break apart and pray for each other and talk about what we feel we need prayer for in our own life and figuring out how we can have a closer relationship with God um, and how we can further accept Jesus and understand what it was that he was trying to do for us. Um, and it really became... And there, there's a whole lot of subcontext in there where I think there are there are people from that time that are still in my life that I think I do want to have on this podcast, but I think it's important for me to get my side out first so that, you know, they can sort of have a, a safe place to talk about what their experience was. Um, but it, it became very real for me at this time. Um, it was not just a thing that I was doing that was fun on the side. It was like games were a part of it. Fun was a part of it, but the main goal was becoming a better Christian at this point. Um, you know, I was trying to write Christian music, and a few of my friends were learning how to play musical instruments and leading, uh, uh, you know, uh, youth praise groups. And at a certain point I end up playing drums on stage every Sunday for the church. So I think it was... Tuesday nights were 
uh, praise band rehearsal where I was like, not just as a kid now, I'm with a bunch of other musically inclined adults and we're learning worship music. Um, so Tuesday nights is the praise band rehearsal. Wednesday night is youth group. Saturday night is open door. Sunday is church. I'm playing music in front of everybody. And then um, after church, we've got our small groups and our Sunday school. And it was my life at this point now. Um, and then at a certain point, my youth leader, Fig, uh, accepted a position at a different church further downstate, uh, and let us all know that he was going to be leaving the church. But this guy had become like, you know, he was a younger guy, um, maybe mid to late twenties, um, but he was like becoming my friend, felt like an older brother to me, um, not quite old enough to be a parent, just a guy who, you know, would invite us over to hang out with him and his wife whenever they were, you know, cooking for everyone or they were just good people who I like started to love dearly as family. And so when they told us that they were leaving, I think that's when I had my first uh, crisis of faith because I started to reflect a little bit on like, why am I here? Am I actually here for God, for Christ? Or am I here because I'm part of the inner circle and I finally feel accepted? You know, um, at this point, I had quit football. I wasn't in any extracurricular activities. I was failing in school. Um, and I had a small social circle, but my friends were all the people from church at this point. Um, and so when Fig said that he was leaving, I started to think that maybe like, everyone else will leave and now everyone else is going to leave me and maybe I don't believe and yada, yada, yada. So now a new youth pastor comes in. His name is also Nathan. <laughs> um, and initially I fucking hated this guy for no fault of his own. It was just this guy's here. My older brother is gone and I'm not part of your inner circle. You don't want to know me. I don't want to know you. He came in with a blank slate, as you should, giving all of the kids an equal chance to have um, a relationship with him. And I started to feel like I was being cast out or whatever. So my mission at this point is not to... Not to become a better Christian, but to get in this guy's inner circle. I'm going to win him over in the same way that I won Fig over. Um, and it became very personal. My view uh, of Christianity was taking a backseat. And now it was like, how can I feel loved and accepted again? Um, because I felt it dwindling away and that 
maybe scared me a bit because I started to realize that like, you know, I'm not going to be a kid much longer. In a few years, I'm going to be out of, um, out of high school. And that means I won't have any more youth group and my social circle is going to go to college. I knew that I, there was no way I was going to be able to go to college um, because I was already failing my classes. I was very, I, I've, I've mentioned this multiple times in the podcast, but I, I really do genuinely view myself as a pretty intelligent guy, um, genuinely. But I did not apply myself in school for a multitude of reasons, but it was more rooted in laziness. And I don't don't exactly know where that came from, but I just didn't do my homework. I fell asleep in class. The the parts of the curriculum that are like gen ed prerequisite type stuff in high school, none of that appealed to me. The only stuff that really mattered to me was music. And I wasn't really necessary. I didn't know if I was really into acting or anything like that at this point. But um, I just wanted to, I wanted to be the center of attention. And that was it. And let's be real, I've got a camera pointed at my face and I'm talking in an empty room to no one right now. Not much has changed. I still want to be the center of attention. <laughs> I want to be loved. But yeah, this, this, the goal now is not, is not to be a better Christian. It's to just win this guy over. Um, and I got to be honest, I did. Uh, my friend Mark and I... Um, became like really good friends with this guy. Um, and I'm sure he could see through it. He, um, in fact, I know that he saw through it because he called me out on it a lot. And th this will lead to some of the later stuff. Um, but I just started to feel welcomed back into this, this circle again. So now we're approaching junior, senior year. And yeah, now the next phase is getting closer and closer. What happens after you graduate? Because you're not going to be able to hang out with this Nathan guy. You're not going to be able to be part of this youth group every week. You're going to be done. And then you're going to have to go to big boy church only on Sundays. And then I might have to go to men's small groups. And when I was like 17, something like that, I was like, fuck that. These older dudes don't understand me. They're from a different generation. They have no interest in like relating to me. I will always be a kid in their eyes. Um, but I started to think about what those next important steps would be for me to continue to be the center of attention. And it's around this time that I decided, well, when I was a baby, I was baptized as a Catholic against my will. Now I get to choose to be baptized as a Christian. So at 17 years old, I started taking classes to get you to be essentially allowed to be baptized. Now, I don't, I don't think there was any like you had to pay to be there or pay to play type thing, but I, th I don't know if this is the way that Christian reform does it or just Christians do it in general. I, I don't know, but the pastor, the, the primary pastor that was there, pastor Rod, uh, for anyone who wanted to be baptized, 
they needed to essentially spend six weeks taking his course, which was like, I don't know, a theology exam. I don't really remember any of this because I'll be honest, I think I knew at this point none of it mattered. Um, you know, I think I believed what I believed, but it didn't, it was not the education I was interested in. I was really looking forward to that moment where everyone in church sees you on Sunday, you speak into a microphone, you get dipped into a pool of water, and they all applaud you. All eyes are on you. You are the most loved in the room at the time. It's your moment in front of a few hundred people. And this is really fucked up, I'll be honest. I really exploited the church and I exploited these people who I think did genuinely care about me. Um, but, I mean, I forgive myself. I was a kid. Uh, so you should too. <laughs> uh, but yeah, at the end of the six weeks, that, that moment happened. In fact, I, I actually remember a, a pretty a f funny thing that happened. This just goes to show that I didn't pay attention to any of it. It was more about the the moment than it was about the journey. Um, when you are baptized uh, as an adult or as a conscious thinker, not, not, a, not an infant, um, a few things get asked of you while you're up on the stage. And one of those things is, what is your Christian name? Now, your Christian name is your first and middle name. I didn't know that he was asking me that. So he like, he goes, now, what is your Christian name? And I look out into the crowd and I realize I don't know the answer to this question. I didn't, I didn't really understand. So I was like, Mund just said my last name. Everybody laughed and he whispers and he goes, no, 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 just not the last name. I was like, Oh, <laughs> David, everybody laughed again. He's like, and then he again moves the mic away from his face and he goes, David, your first and middle name. Sorry. That's your Christian name. Oh, David Joseph, David Joseph. And everybody applauds. Ha 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 ha. Um, so not only did I have all eyes on me getting ready to applaud me, but now I got the, the room chuckling with me. Um, and then, yeah, it, it's pretty straightforward. I don't, um, you know, some people are dunked. You can be dunked into a lake or a pool or whatever. It doesn't have to be holy water or whatever, but there just so happened to be the way that he did it at this church. Um, there's, you know, the bowl of water and then, you know, take a little bit, sprinkle it on my head, baptize you in the name of the Father. And then he goes like this, makes a little cross on my forehead and of the Son. And then he does it again and of the Holy Spirit. And then he places his hand on my head. I hold his other hand and we pray together for a little bit. And then he introduces me to everyone. He goes, now baptized in the faith, please give a round of applause for David, for he has accepted Jesus Christ into his heart. Yeah. Oh my God, I did it. Oh, wow. The crowd goes wild. He believes in Jesus. And honestly, it is very shortly thereafter that I went, pardon me if this is insensitive, I have seen the mountaintop. I was done. I was over it. 
I got into the inner circle with my old youth pastor. I was becoming, I don't want to use the word beloved, but I was a friendly face to a lot of the kids my age. I got along with most people. Um, my youth pastor left and I won over the new one. I passed the test, which was a new feeling for me, being a kid who didn't pass a lot of tests. <laughs> um, and then I won. I convinced everyone in that church that I gave a shit. And while I have forgiven myself for this, I think, I think just saying the words out loud really do feel a little bit sinister because I, it was, it, I don't, it, it couldn't have been my intention to exploit or manipulate everyone there. Um, because I was a kid, man. I, I mean, I just wanted to feel loved. I wanted to feel accepted. And this was the way to do it. And it was working. But then I start phasing out. I'm coming less and less to church, coming less and less to youth group. I graduate high school and then I never go back. I maintained some friendships with kids from the church. And as I alluded to at the beginning, I've recently reconnected with my old youth pastor as a person who is now, I am not, I still do not identify with any particular religion. Um, but I, we'll, we'll get to that point. Um, so if you have been a Christian in the past, or if you have dabbled in any religion in the past, you'll know that, well, maybe, maybe you won't, this is just maybe my example, and I've heard other anecdotes of others, is once I start to deconstruct and start like critically viewing the philosophy that I'm, or the theology that I'm following, I just start to believe it less and less. Um, and again, this is where I sort of want to tiptoe around it. I don't want to necessarily criticize anyone's worldview. I think my problem with religion in general is, you know, organized religion that um, exists to spite others who disagree. So, you know, most of the wars that have ever been fought have to do with you know, my God is different than your God, or my God doesn't believe that you should exist. My God says I'm not supposed to talk to you. And that just started getting gross to me. Like the idea of not, not supposed to like fraternize, fraternize with the LGBT community. Um, you know, anytime we'd go on mission trips or something, we'd talk to people who are like uh, overtly atheist or a different religion. And we'd try to convince them that theirs is wrong and Jesus is the only way. Um, and it just got, I just remember it becoming gross to me. Um, so that was initially like the initial phase out. And I'm sure, you know, at this point I'm, I, again, I'm having sex at this point. And I start to realize that like, oh my God, I'm going to hell because I'm exploring the natural part of human existence. And 
you know, you're not supposed to have sex out of wedlock and all this PDA shit, but like, you know, you're a kid who's got hormones running through their brain or through their veins. And like, you know, I'm supposed to shame myself for doing what humans have done for hundreds of thousands of years. Uh, anyway, <laughs> we don't have to get into the, the sex side. Um, because again, I'm very young at this point, you know, I was a sexually active 17 year old, um, but I was a sexually active baptized 17 year old and the hypocrisy was becoming too much for me to bear. Um, and so I stopped and then I start surrounding myself with, you know, the exact opposite type of people that you're supposed to at this point. So, um, you know, I'm starting to party, I'm starting to drink, I'm starting to do drugs. And I'm getting a lot of questions about like what I believe. And for the first time in my life, these ideas are being challenged by people who aren't in this bubble that I'm in. Um, and it started to break down my worldview quite a bit. And it kind of became too much to handle. And very quickly, the whole view of what happens when we die just fell apart. And when that fell apart, it was like, well, is any of it true? Was Adam and Eve real? Did Moses really part the Red Sea? Was Noah's boat that big? Where were the dinosaurs? Uh, you know, that, that kind of shit. The general issues that people have with Christian theology or fundamentalism. Um, and then my grandmother dies. My stepdad's mom, my grandma Bev. And when we went to her apartment to clear everything out, I found out that she was a Buddhist. Um, she had been practicing Buddhism for decades, and I knew none of this. But I was also smoking weed, too. So, you know, especially when you first develop a relationship with weed, everything is new and far out, man. And, and Buddhism, like, I don't know, it felt like the most interesting thing I had ever heard of. So I started, like, looking into my grandma's past and um, talking to my stepdad about what she was like and what she believed and some of her ideology. And then, you know, the internet exists. So I'm researching every single thing I can about the religion or the ideology. Um, uh, and there's also a little sub factor here. I started at, at this point in my life. Um, I was really leaning into my dreams. Um, I think I've mentioned this before. I'm looking at right now like five or six separate completely filled out dream journals where every single night I'd wake up in the middle of the night or I'd wake up in the, excuse me, I'd wake up in the morning feeling like P. Diddy. Um, I'd wake up in the morning and log every dream that I could remember. And this would be like pages and pages and pages and pages. I would just completely remember in vivid detail. 
And this started leading into lucid dreaming. And then the combination of this like new Buddhist philosophy. And, you know, I, I, I can't tell you a single thing about Siddhartha Gautama, the Buddha. I can't really explain much about what Buddhists really believe other than reincarnation. And, um, but to me, it was like this far out psychedelic, really cool thing that I could combine all of these things. And it started to make sense to me. So through this lucid dreaming, which I think I already mentioned, I don't know if I actually said it out loud, but I was starting to lucid dream, which if you're unaware means you are aware while you are in a dream, you become aware that you are dreaming. There's levels of that. Um, you can start to control your dreams. Like there's a, you can literally snap response. As, as soon as you realize you're dreaming, I can wipe the slate clean and do whatever I want. I can fly, I can, you know, I have superpowers or whatever, or you could start exploring your subconscious. Um, so there were a lot of times where I would like, in the middle of a dream, realize I'm dreaming, dreaming, and then I'd be like, okay, no, no, we're done with this scene. Let's go to the next scene. And the next scene is me sitting across the table, looking at me, having a conversation with me. So it was, it was literally a deep dive into my own subconscious thought. Um, you know, I don't, I don't have a lot of memories of what those were like. If I wanted to flip through these dream journals, I'm sure I could find out a lot more. But the combination of this new Buddhist philosophy and uh, this lucid dreaming, new understanding of my subconscious, and smoking so much weed, um, I just became this new being, this new version of myself. Um, and it felt like a really hard swing the other way. So I, I identified as a Christian, and then I'm like, well, if that's not true, something else has got to be true. And the first thing that felt true, I just latched onto. But that didn't last very long. Um, I wasn't a practicing Buddhist. Uh, you know, I still meditate daily, um, and I still exist as a spiritual person, but I think this started to tie into my understanding that I have issues with a lot of organized religion um, because there are devout Buddhists who believe that if you believe differently that you are to be cast out. Any fundamentalist view started to feel gross to me because the more I learned about the world, the more I realized I don't know anything. I don't understand anything. And as you get older, you start to realize that everyone older than you at this point is now just a little bit older and sometimes a little bit wiser. That does not mean they have it figured out. And anyone who claims to know so is lying to you or they're lying to yourself, lying to themselves. Um, and so now the swing, instead of it just being this left and right sway, now it's dropped. And I'll use the phrase again, I became a militant atheist where it was now my goal to shame and shun everyone and everything, every religion, every ideology, every theology, every philosophy. If you think you know what happens when we die and it's because a God told you, you're wrong. 
And not only are you wrong, you're bad for society. Um, and, you know, it's not like I was becoming part of these forums. It's not like I was beating up religious people or getting into fights or whatever. I just picked every debate that I possibly could with every single person who believed something different than me or who believed something. Because at this point, I believe nothing. And I think at this point, it's very clear that now I am the most insecure. I'm the most afraid. Uh, and really, I just wanted to be right. I wanted to feel like I won an argument so that I could be a little less afraid that I'm not going to burn in hell or that I'm just going to exist in the black void of nothingness after I die. Um, and that was a good five to 10 ish year chunk of my life where anyone who believed that they knew was to, was not to be trusted. Anyone who believed that they knew what the meaning of life was or what happens when we die, you do not get to be a part of my life because you're bad for me, because I'm susceptible. I've realized now at this point I'm susceptible and I'm vulnerable to being convinced of a lie. When really my, my true belief, if we want to get down to the root of it, is that clearly all religions, every single one of them, it's just a different approach to the same end. It's a different, different path to the same ending. Why are we here? What is our purpose? And then what happens when we're done, when we die? And now I'm at a point where not knowing is, I don't know if I want to use the word blessing, but maybe it's a, it's a blessing because it keeps me curious. It keeps me asking. It keeps me invested in the process. And I'm no longer afraid of death. I don't think I'm afraid of death. Well, there's also, again, there's a lot of filler details here, but between this point of atheism and now, there were a few attempts or... Um, moments where I thought I was going to die, where I thought I was going to kill myself or yeah, I thought I was going to take my own life. Um, but it was never the fear of what's next that stopped me. It was always, what am I leaving behind here? Um, which is really fascinating to me to say out loud because when when I was a Christian, my purpose was to make more Christians. It's just to, if I can convince someone else to accept Jesus into their heart, then that's one more person that likes me, you know? And that's the wrong answer. That's the wrong way to do it if you're going to be a Christian. Let's be clear. But, you know, there was also that underlying philosophy that, like, I'm helping someone. I'm saving someone, and they're going to be so grateful for that. And then when I was a Buddhist, it was like, I don't even think I was a Buddhist, let's be clear. I was just interested in Buddhism. But that's where I'm like, peace and love, man. Let's all just be peaceful. And if if you're not about peace, then you're the enemy, man. Um, 
And now it's just like, isn't it fascinating that there are so many different opinions about what happens when we die, but the only way we know, the only way we can know for certain outside of faith is when it happens. When I die, I will know. And then I will join the group of others who know. And that's sort of a beautiful thing to me. Uh, I do see myself as a spiritual person. There has to be something more than this. More and more every day we find out as humans that we are insignificant, not just as a species, but our planet, our place in the world, our place in the solar system, our solar system's place in the galaxy, our galaxy's place in the universe, our universe's place in the multiverse. There is endless knowledge to be obtained. Our capacity for understanding only goes so far. There are many things that we will never understand because the human existence is so short. So to me, it's less about what happened before or what happens after. Now it's more about what I do here and who I am now and the people I associate with now and the lives I touch now and the conversations that I have now. <laughs> I could just say now. Now matters. The only thing that matters is now. Because it's the only thing, it's the only thing that we know to be real. I mean, close your eyes and think about what happened before you were born. Of course, you can reflect on memories and stories that you've heard, but you weren't there. Are you afraid of the world before you were born? No. So why would you be afraid of what comes after it? It's the same thing. Time exists as a construct. And I mean this and don't mean this in a woo-woo-ish way. But really, time as a philosophy, or as a theory, is measured by the rotation of the earth around the sun. That's how we calculate things. But that's such an insignificant way to measure things because the few solar systems over, or even the few planets over, measure time completely differently. It's not a 24-hour cycle on every other planet or every other star system. And now I'm starting to get maybe too philosophical or too scientific and even science is a, a worldview that continues to change and evolve and I'm not saying I don't believe in science of course I believe in the practice of science but um, I, I don't know I don't <laughs> that's that feels where it, get, it gets very dangerous it's just telling anyone they're right or wrong when we don't know, man, we just don't know. So, yeah, now I'm a spiritual person. 
there's got to be something more than this. Um, but now the difference between the David who sits before you today and the David that sit, sat before you in the past is I am more present than I have ever been. Um, nothing is guaranteed. I could turn this camera off and the second I push that button, I could get an electrical shock that stops my heart. And the only thing that will exist after this is the memory of me. And eventually the memory of me will fade. Um, you know, I could get into a greater discussion about how I don't intend to have children. So the legacy stops with me and this podcast floating endlessly throughout the universe, existing as a small bit of data radiating on forever and ever in small podcast form. But that's okay. I don't know what happens when we die. I don't know why I'm here or if there is a why. Maybe there's not a why. Sometimes life is just suffering. Some people are born, they suffer, and then they die. And that's horrific. I don't, I can't think about why. I just have to be present. And that is the only way that I will ever, ever feel comfortable being alive is just simply knowing I am alive and that that is enough and that I am enough and you are enough and that's okay. So to put a little feather in the cap or a cherry on top of this podcast, um, as I mentioned before, I think it's possible that my former youth pastor comes on to the podcast. Um, and if he doesn't, that's okay. I asked him and he said yes, but it's going to be a little while until he can. But I figured it was important for me to at least explore this part of my life out loud before I even have him on because, you know, he still believes what he believes. And to me now that's okay. You know, you can believe whatever you want to believe. That's the beauty of this. Um, my issue more lies with those who weaponize their belief to shame or shun or make others feel like the other. And the really, truly beautiful thing that happened the other night or last night is that when we got together for the first time in over 10 years, it, was, it wasn't even just like we picked up right where we left off because part of that was we really did. We're just pals, except now I'm an adult and I'm not a kid and we can kind of talk more seriously about life. But I felt no judgment. Um, him and his wife are incredibly lovely people. They have a great family. They have continued that open door policy in that like, if your intentions are good and you just want to better yourself, it doesn't really matter that I believe 
that Jesus Christ is God, or that you believe that, you know, Siddhartha Gautama was the Buddha and that he knew he was the only one who could understand the path to enlightenment, or, you know, I'm not trying to leave out other religions. The main point is, it's okay to believe something different as long as you don't, yeah, weaponize that, that belief. Um, so I would love to allow this podcast to be a safe space where that can be talked about openly and honestly. And if we don't agree, then we don't agree. But as long as we approach the conversation with patience and kindness and love and understanding, then we'll all get somewhere. We will all have a greater understanding of others if we just talk, we just talk to each other and ask questions. Not to try to dissuade someone from believing what they believe, but just to get a better understanding of why they even believe what they believe in the first place. Um, so yeah, that's... I think that's where I can end this conversation. I felt pretty good, right? Um, what updates should I give you here? Um, oh, here's a fun one. I don't know what I'm going to do with these. Perhaps I'll just scatter them all around town. But I got some uh, stickers. Some ADH Deep Dive with David J. Munn stickers. Um it would be silly of me to sell them on my website right now because I'm not going to have anyone just buy a sticker because the cost of shipping it out is a bit much for just one sticker. And I've only got like 25 or 30. So really it was just like a, I should have these for me because, you know, as with all things, one day this podcast will end. And it's cool to just have physical memories. Uh, just a reminder that I did this. This ADHD, this podcast is the truest version of myself. This is the real me. And sometimes I'm masking or hiding or ashamed and I'm kind of burrowing into my emotions. But the goal is to be the most vulnerable, true, raw version of an authentic version of me that I can. And that changes every single day. Uh, so I got stickers <laughs> to remember it. Um, and I think that's where we'll end things. Uh, I've mentioned a few times that I have um, a partnership sponsorship coming up that will be divulged soon. I'm very excited to tell you more about that. But for now, thank you for being here. I love you. And I'll see you next week. Mm -hmm.